Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. The wheels of justice, in most cases, move at a painfully slow pace, especially after a conviction. Successful appeals oftentimes take decades to work through the court system. But when your life is on the line, there never seems to be enough time. That's the position that a Texas man named Ivan Cantu finds himself in. He's on death row, and every day that passes by is one closer to the day that he'll be executed. Ivan was convicted and sentenced to death in 2001 for the murders of his cousin James Mosqueda and James's fiancée, Amy Kitchen. James and Amy were found murdered in their home on November 4, 2000. During the initial investigation, it appeared to police that Ivan had handed them their case on a silver platter, showing off a ring that was stolen during the murders, placing his bloody pants and socks right on top of a trash can in his own apartment, and even parking the victim's car right outside his own door for police to find. His conviction was also helped along by the fantastical testimony of Ivan's own girlfriend, Amy Betcher. The case seemed cut and dry on the surface. But as we all know, things are not always what they seem. This is episode two of season nine, the case of Ivan Cantu. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. Ivan's case was shared with the world on the Cousins by Blood podcast, hosted by Matt Duff. The 10-episode first season of the podcast was fantastic, and it was put together so well that a blast from our past has now jumped into the effort to share Ivan's story. Liz Rose suffered through a tragedy of her own when her father was brutally murdered in 2012. And then, to add to the horror, five years later, Liz's mother, Sandy Melgar, was, in my opinion, 
wrongfully convicted for her husband's murder. Sandy's case was the subject of Season 6 of Truth and Justice, and Liz joined our efforts to investigate and try to find truth and justice for her parents. And now, she's working just as hard to try to clear Ivan Cantu's name and get him off of death row. Both Liz and Matt Duff joined me this week to talk about Ivan's case and the work they've both been doing on it. Zoom by two people, one of whom most of you are listening are very familiar with, and one that we've never had on the show before. So I'll start off with uh, someone who you came to know during season six. We were covering the case of the murder of Jim Melgar and the wrongful conviction of Sandy Melgar. And uh, joining us in a lot of those episodes was Miss Liz Rose, who is taking an interest in the case that we're going to be discussing today. How are you doing, Liz? Good. How are you? Doing really well. And we're also joined today by the host and creator of the Cousins by Blood podcast, Mr. Matt Duff. How's things going, Matt? Going good, Bob. How are you, buddy? Really good. Uh, so you said you're, you're out of town. Are you out of town working or pleasure? Yeah, no, I'm out of town working. I'm a private investigator, so I'm working up a tree for, uh, for this week. All right, well, that's a good place to start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I, I know that you're a, you're a PI. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about where and your experience and, and then how you came to be involved in the Ivan Cantu case? Sure. Well, I've actually only been a, a PI for maybe a little over a year, about a year and a half. Before that, I was a TV producer out in LA, and I was actually looking for death row cases with reasonable doubt for like a new show pitch. And this would have been like maybe three or four years ago. And, um, you know, I really love true crime like you. I love cereal and all that kind of stuff and was trying to develop something in the true crime market. And it was just so hard. I would like, um, you know, investigate these, these crimes, these different cases for months, sometimes six months at a time, get a little bit of money for networks and, but can never quite get it, you know, to broadcast. And I'm like, well, you know what? I, I really do just enjoy investigating. Why don't I just try to do it for real? And so this case in particular always stuck out with me uh, it is a death row case. And so essentially I, I got my private, inv- I got my private investigator license to work on this case. And I figured, you know, with the success of podcasts and the, the true crime genre, a lot of times that way of storytelling can be more successful and more rewarding than a documentary or certainly like a two hour piece. And I knew this case in particular would need a good 10 to 12 hours. And uh, we've just finished the first season, which is close to 10 hours. And we probably need another 10 hours. Right. And so I, I actually just finished the podcast today, this afternoon. And, and so you're doing a season two and the season two is going to continue on with Ivan's case. Mm-hmm. Basically all of the loose ends and all of the, um, the stories that we set up, the, the individuals that we were looking at that are suspects. I've talked to already most of them, talked to a lot of the main players. Um, so the audience will be hearing as much of that as possible. And really the case, uh, season one um, is more of just, you know, I, I say as a case set up, obviously I'm getting into some of the exculpatory evidence, but a lot of it is just kind of the, the superficial flaws with the case and the problems with the trial. And season two will be more of the actual investigation. That's great. And did you have any investigative experience before? I guess in my mind, I assumed you were like former law enforcement. TV producer wasn't where I was 
assuming the you came from? Uh, no, no. I, I basically went, once I. That's kind of how I ended up in Louisiana. I was looking for right around the time of like probably cereal or jeans. I was looking for like what is like another case that kind of has those type of legs, and I found this case called the Jennings Eight out of Jennings, Louisiana. So I got a little development money from a couple different networks to develop that. Um, and I, I went to Jennings a couple times, met with a private investigator working on that case. And he said at that point, that was 2016, he said, you know, I teach classes on how to become a private investigator. I was like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing out here, bud. But as time went on, that didn't make it to, to TV. I, I, I investigated, I've investigated the uh, Atlanta child murders for years. For, for different networks, Son of Sam for different networks, um, and a couple other true crime cases like that. But, you know, we'd get a little development money, we'd get like a little mini pilot, but nothing, again, would, would air. And it's just super frustrating when you've done all, and, and literally, you know, I wasn't a licensed investigator, but I'm traveling, I'm sourcing documents, I'm interviewing the main players. Mm-hmm. And that was something I was very comfortable with, with other things in TV. Um, and so... It just it just seemed like the next transition to really try to do it for real. And with this case in particular, Ivan's case, he's a death row inmate. So um, unlike other people in prison, he can't use the phone lines. So the only way I was really able to meet with him and interview him in the way that I needed to interview him was to become a licensed private investigator. And then I'm a, a legal rep- representative of his legal team. And so I can sit down with him for days. Awesome. I'm going, I want to talk to you a little bit as we, as we move along about that process, because those are some of the same hoops that I have to jump through. Being you know, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a licensed PI. I'm also not affiliated with a media organization as as press. So you know, you run into yep. there's some advantages to that, but there's a lot of disadvantages. Uh, but before we go there, uh, Liz, it's been a couple of years since we covered your mom's case. What have you been up to? I know we talk all the time, but the listeners don't know what you're up to. Ah, uh, you know. Nothing I can really talk about, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, I'm hoping to have some news in the near future, but yeah, I've just been doing a lot of the same that we were doing while we were, you know, covering the case on the podcast. And once we kind of hit a dead end and it was kind of out of my hands, I found that I just had all this this time to like turn things over in my head, and I was just kind of obsessing over our case and. Somehow this this case just kind of fell into my lap, and and um, now I just obsess over this one. <laughs> right? It, yeah, I remember you pitched it to me, or you uh, you text me about it, and so you got to check out this case. You got to check out this podcast. How did how did you come across the Cousins by Blood podcast? Because you were, for those of you that don't know, because Liz and I do talk often, she's obsessed with this case almost as much as she was with her parents' case. So how did that come about? It was really just pure coincidence. I, I did another podcast called The First Degree, and I was, you know, I joined their Facebook group. And Ivan's mom was actually posting in that group um, a petition asking for the state to give Ivan all the evidence in his case before setting a date. And, you know, I was like, I, I wish I could help this lady, but I'm still kind of like messed up about everything that's going on. And I'm not sure if I'm, you know, emotionally capable of doing that at the moment. But I told her, I asked her if she'd reached out to you and I had, you know, given her a few other suggestions. And so she responded by posting the, the last episode of the podcast and I was doing dishes. So I put it on, you know, to listen to it while I was doing that. And it just, 
it was just so similar. It's another case out of Texas. You know, she said, I thought we would just go to trial and they would see how crazy this was and then everything would be okay. We'd go home, it would be over, which is exactly the same thing I said about our case. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, listening to the podcast and kind of talking to Miss Cantu a little bit more, it just really spoke to me. And I just, I felt like this is somewhere that I could use my experience and help somebody else. And you went all in quick because I believe you texted me that you binged the entire podcast. You'll be happy to know this, Matt, in a day. In a single day, she binged the entire thing <laughs> and it told me how wonderful it is. And it is. And uh, Liz, you've got a little project going on now uh, that you've started around this case, uh, which we'll get to, but a little, a little teaser on that is, is Liz is now a blogger. <laughs> it's still very new, <laughs> um, but I'm really enjoying it. It's really... I don't know. It's kind of therapeutic in a way, you know, to sort everything out and kind of look at things from another angle. And um, yeah, so I've I've got a few entries on there. It's called questionthecase.com. And yeah, I just hope to kind of maybe help Matt a little bit and help Ivan and see where it takes us. Yeah. And they're really well done. So listeners go check that out. Now, Matt, as we move along here, can you give a lot of our listeners have listened to your podcast and they're and they're familiar with the case, but a lot also haven't. Can you give us kind of walk us through the beats of the Ivan Cantu case? Because I got to tell you, when I started listening, and one thing I love about the way you produced your podcast was you kind of set them up and knock them down. Because after like the second episode, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be an awkward conversation. Because <laughs> I was, I was, I was convinced. I'm like, oh, this dude's guilty. Like, like this story is so convenient. Everything's made up and. And I was I was thinking to myself as I was mowing my grass. I'm like, how? What is this Mac guy thinking? Like, how's he not seeing through this? But then you start laying things out throughout the podcast and and calling a lot of that stuff into question. And and you you definitely have me leaning the other way by the time it's over. So can you kind of give us the the basic beats of the case? Sure, I'll try to do it as as con- concise as possible to because it 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 is a little bit complex and convoluted, but, and that is the interesting thing about it. Um, it is kind of like a puzzle, but basically the case is it's in Dallas in 2000. And, um, to kind of like set the scene for everybody, the main characters in 2000, they were like late twenties. They were all making good money. Um, they like to dress nice. They had nice cars. They like to go to the clubs and be flashy. Well, so our main character is Ivan Cantu. He was the man convicted of murder. So, but it's, it's important to tell a little bit of backstory on Ivan because uh, in the late 90s, he was like mid-20s, but he was already making like over $100,000 a year. He was selling loans for mortgages. He had a house, he had cars, he had a boat. So we're not dealing with like a thug here. And I think that that was one problem with the trial that, you know, they see a young Latino dude in Dallas and they didn't take the time to like, where is this guy coming from? So I, I think that that is important to establish that this guy was making money. He was, he was doing very well for himself. But by 2000, he had basically lost it all. He was starting over. He had lost his wife. He lost his house. He had lost his job. So in 2000, he's 27 years old, a good looking Latino dude, you know, just like he could spit game. He liked to dress nice. He was flashy. He was living with a buddy. And this would have been like August of 2000. They're going to the lake every weekend, picking up gals and stuff like that. Well, he meets this girl, Amy Betcher, in August of 2000. 
they really hit it off. Some of his friends are thinking like, hmm, wow, they weren't quite sure about her. But, you know, Ivan was head over heels with her. They get a place in October, on October 15th of 2000, about two months prior to meeting, or two months after meeting, and about two weeks prior to the murders. So basically, the timeline of the murders happens within uh, six days, and I'll try to go through it pretty, pretty briefly. But uh, November 2nd, that was a Thursday. Ivan and Amy, they've been living together again two weeks. Ivan was 27. Amy was about 23 at the time. They get into an argument that night. She said that Ivan came out of the back bedroom. He has a gun. And to show her that he meant business, he kind of fires it at the wall, kind of not trying to shoot her, but at her and shoots it into the wall. And that was just kind of, there was, it was never really established why they were having the argument, why he fired the gun, but that just kind of happened. And that, that bullet will come into play later. And that's why it always kind of starts on November 2nd. So that night, they kind of cool off. They go to bed. November 3rd, that Friday night, or that Friday, Ivan goes to work. Ivan was working two jobs at that time. He was, like I said, he was getting his, his feedback under him. He was working at a mortgage company by day. By night, he was waiting tables. Amy wasn't really working at that time. But Ivan gets home that evening. And this is the night of, quote unquote, the murders. Ivan gets home that evening at 10.30 p.m. It's already established that him and Amy are going to go out for the night. They love to like party hop and like go to clubs and stuff like that. It was Friday night. So Ivan changes and then he picks up the phone about 1130 and he calls his cousin James. James, he, James was his cousin and he was uh, 27 also at the time of the murders. Uh, he lived about a mile from uh, Ivan and Amy's apartment and he was engaged to another Amy. So it, right off the bat, it gets really confusing at first, but Ivan's with his Amy in an apartment. James's cousin is also 27. He's living in a house with his Amy. So Ivan calls his cousin James, says, I got to come over, hangs up the phone, or I, I think it was his cell phone. And Amy says, before he leaves, he says, I'm going to go kill James and Amy. He has the same gun that he had the night before. So he leaves at 1130. He comes back at about 1215 a.m. driving Amy Kitchen, the fiance. Mercedes. So he drove over there in the Honda. He, he drives back in his cousin's fiance's Mercedes. Amy, his Amy, his girlfriend says when he comes in, he has blood on him. He has blood in his hair. His face is kind of swollen because uh, he said that it wasn't pretty and James hit him with a baseball bat. So, but Ivan's still in party mode. He still wants to go out that night. And apparently Amy does too. Ivan takes off his clothes, uh, the bloody jeans and socks, puts them in a kitchen trash can. Can I, can I hold you just for a second? I just want to. I just want to clarify for for everybody listening. Yeah, it, stop me. Stop me whenever because no, you're, you're doing fine. I, one thing I just want to clarify as I'm as I'm here to go through is the kind of version of events you're telling us right now. This is according to Amy B, his Ivan's girlfriend. Correct. This is the state's official story. Right, and that's and that, and that came from Amy. Right. Right. Then that all this that all this all comes from Amy. Right. But then the, the way that the court presents it, this is gospel. You know, this is the way it happened. So okay. this is the state official story. And then we'll go back through the problems and then what Ivan says happened. Perfect. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at Chapacasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, yeah, so Amy says he comes in. He's got blood on him. He's waving the gun around. He says uh, it wasn't pretty. So, uh, I don't want to get there, but basically they still want to go out. Uh, Ivan showers. Uh, he puts on a fresh uh, change of clothes. Him and Amy leave in Amy kitchen, the, the, vic- the victims, uh, Mercedes. They drive to, so it's about probably 1 a.m. at this point. They go to a buddy's named Smiley's house to pick up some Coke and ecstasy for the night. They're there partying, hanging out with his friends till, for about 30 minutes or so. After that, they go back to the murder scene. So Ivan takes his girlfriend, Amy, to the murder scene, back to James and Amy's house. She says that uh, she sees the dead bodies, kind of peeks around the corner. She can see them in the back bedroom. She says that Ivan is looking for cash and drugs. She's kind of pretending to help him uh, because he kind of has her at gunpoint saying, you know, help me look for the cash and drugs. She says she's, you know, scared to death. And, and he basically tells her, if, if you don't do what I say, this is going to happen to you kind of deal. So they don't find any Coke and drugs, Coke or, or they don't find any Coke or cash. So they leave, but they leave and they leave Amy Kitchen's Mercedes. They take his cousin's Corvette. So now they're in a brand new Corvette. They're driving. Then they go to this after hours club, this club called Seven. They're there from probably like 2 a.m. to like 3 or 4 a.m. People see him in the club. People see him driving that Corvette. They go to another house party at probably 5 or 6 a.m. They're out at another house party till what Amy says, that they're out till 10 a.m. that morning. And they've been doing drugs all night. And they're, they're at another dude named Metal's house smoking some speed. When she tells Ivan, and actually, let me, let me back up because I knew I was going to forget this. At some point after she sees the dead bodies, they go back to Ivan's place before they hit the club. And she says, just kind of out of the blue, he presents her with an engagement ring. And she says, yes. And then, then they go to Club 7. Then they go to all these other clubs. They're doing drugs. People see them in the Corvette. They're, she's showing off the ring, saying, we just got engaged. Can you believe it? Blah, blah, blah. So, so, and know, so in her story, after Ivan murders his cousin, takes her to see the bodies, he then proposes to her right after that, and then they go out partying. Correct. Just making sure. Okay. <laughs> yep. That that and that's the state's official story. You know, right. that's that is that that is what they say. So they go to different house parties. They're out till 10 a.m. when she tells Ivan, Ivan, we gotta get home. You're supposed to meet my parents for the very first time tomorrow. So they go back to Ivan's apartment. This would be about 10 a.m. They crash for like an hour or two. So then they go on a road trip for eight hours to Arkansas to meet her stepdad and her stepmom because this was a pre-planned trip. 
they're going to go meet her parents for the very first time, and she's going to introduce Ivan as her new fiance. Right. So they're on the road, and as they're on the road, at about 4 p.m. Saturday, that's Saturday, they're on the road. They leave around noonish, or maybe a little earlier, but they're halfway to Arkansas when the bodies of James and James Mosqueda and Amy Kitchen are found in their home, shot to death in their bedroom. They're found by her mother, and then obviously everybody is like, what happened? Immediately, people start calling Ivan um, because Ivan's his cousin. And, but because Ivan was on the way to Arkansas back in, you know, 20 years ago, cell phone service wasn't great. Nobody could really get a hold of Ivan for a while. While they're on the way to Arkansas, nobody can get a hold of Ivan. Ivan's mom is worried about Ivan because she thinks something might have happened to Ivan. So she pulls two cops from the murder scene when they're kind of finished up with the, what they're doing there. She says, can you go check on my son's apartment? I'm worried that he might be shot to death in his apartment, which is only a mile away. Mm-hmm. So two cops and Ivan's mom go over to his apartment. The two cops are in there for, or they're standing out front for about 10 or 15 minutes waiting on a key from a manager. Then they get in, they're in there for a good 10, 10 ish minutes. And it's a small little apartment. It was supposed to be just a wellness check of like looking for really dead bodies or any sign of foul play. But, Ivan's mom, she was just worried. And so a female officer says, you know, not really supposed to do it, but she said, you can come in and see for yourself. Nothing's wrong, blah, blah, blah. Ivan's mom comes in there. They're standing in the kitchen. She's looking around. And the other officer, the male officer, spots the bullet hole from the night before or Thursday night. And he says, does your son own a gun? And Ivan's mom says, no, sir, you know, not that I know of. And he's like, well, that looks like a little bullet hole right there. But all right, well, you know, there's no dead bodies. Let's, let's pack up and, and leave. We're done here. So that is Saturday evening about 4. At about 8.30 p.m., Amy and Ivan uh, land in, or they're driving, but they get to Arkansas. In the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, Amy's stepdad, Mr. Kramer, he's a former law enforcement. And Amy's mom's, I, I don't know how long they've been living together at that time. But, you know, they get in. I've interviewed was one of the most fascinating interviews is is Mr. Kramer, Amy's uh, stepfather. So he sees this kind of whole thing in full in front of his eyes for about three days. And it's basically a, a meet the parents weekend. You know, um, as soon as they get there, Mr. Kramer says that Amy's acting a little sick, probably because they have, they've been up all night, you know, doing drugs. So they're acting, you know, a, a little off. But Ivan, uh, as soon as they kind of get in, they, they settle down on the couch. She, he says, show your mother the ring. And so, you know, she is wearing a ring and she shows her mom. She shows her stepdad. And so for the next three days, well, well let me back up. So that's Saturday night. By Sunday, the next day, because there, it's a three-day trip in Arkansas, Amy, Amy never says anything to her parents about what she saw in Dallas. She's just like, you know, this is Ivan, this is my fiance kind of thing. Well, the next day, Sunday, Ivan starts getting phone calls from his friends, family, and the police that, hey, your cousin's murdered. People are saying, you know, you need to come back. Ivan's saying, well, I just got to Arkansas. Um, You know, I I will be back. But uh, basically spends two more days in Arkansas uh, is the official story. That is what happened. But they, they spent two more days in Arkansas. 
it's kind of, again, Amy never says anything about the murders. And, uh, you know, they say, all right, goodbye. We've got to go back to Dallas because obviously Ivan's got to deal with his, his family matter and we've, we've got to get on back. So they get to back to Dallas and that would have been the 7th. But what was also happening earlier on the 7th was that the police had a search warrant for Ivan's apartment. And in that apartment, they find the bloody jeans that Amy said he took off, bloody socks, and a latex glove in the trash can. So the police are kind of already, they've got their, their sights set on Ivan. But the interesting thing is, you know, the Ivan has been talking to law enforcement, the, the homicide detective, all along in uh, Arkansas. He tells them he's coming back when he's coming back, and he, he, he gets back into town on the 7th. Um, but it's too late to meet with a detective. Ivan and Amy end up going to Ivan's ex-girlfriend's house, this Tawny. And Tawny was a little bit older than Ivan, but that was an ex-girlfriend. And somehow, for some reason, they, they felt more comfortable there. So Ivan and Amy, basically, they crash that night. There's some other stuff that happens with his family, but it's not in kind of the main timeline. But they crash that night. Ivan and Tawny, his ex-girlfriend, they get up. Ivan is going to meet with the homicide detective that morning with his mom, and Tawny goes to work. Amy's left there in the apartment. So Ivan's going to meet with the uh, homicide detective. They're going to go get a lawyer first, and then they're going to go go meet with this homicide detective that Ivan's been talking to. But on the way, Ivan gets arrested because apparently they were watching Ivan's mom and possibly Ivan because they had already found evidence of this crime. So they arrest Ivan. Uh, Ivan calls Amy back in Tawny's apartment and says, I've just been arrested for capital murder. Amy's freaking out. Tawny's freaking out. Amy says, I got to get out of here. She calls her parents to get a flight back to Arkansas. So Tawny takes her to the airport, drops her off at the airport. Amy gets on a plane going back to Arkansas. But before she gets on the plane, she tells Tawny, you might want to look under the couch cushion. I think I haven't left something. So Tawny goes back to her apartment, flips up the couch cushion, and basically finds the murder weapon, a box of bullets, and some drugs. When Amy gets back to Arkansas that evening, she starts telling her mom and stepdad that Ivan killed him, that she saw the bodies, and then all of a sudden, uh, Amy's stepfather, who was former law enforcement, he calls the sheriff and in Arkansas, and they start taking her statements the next couple of days, and this thing just keeps rolling. But, you know, so on the surface, you have, and, and that's the, the crazy thing, on the surface, and I do say in the podcast, like, people are like, why did I even listen to this first episode? This is like, because you got a murder weapon, you got a murder weapon that the police will say has a smudged thumbprint of Ivan on the murder weapon. you got a witness, that says that Ivan left saying I was going to kill him. He comes back with blood. He puts his jeans and socks in a trash can. The blood on the jeans and socks is matched to the victims. And you basically got, yeah, her testimony that he did all this. And then the, the Corvette that he was driving the night of the murders, that's found parked right outside of Ivan's apartment. You forgot the Rolex. And the Rolex. And uh, yeah. thank you. And... During around the same time that Ivan gave her the engagement ring, Amy says that Ivan is wearing James Rolex and basically tosses the Rolex out of James's Corvette as they're driving down the toll. 
So in the course of the double homicide, you have a robbery. And the robbery is of James Corbett, Amy Kitchen's engagement ring, and James's Rolex. So those were the three items officially. There's other items that, that are kind of touched on at, at trial, but those are the three items officially that on his conviction uh, prosec- prosecution paperwork. So he was convicted of those three items and then murdering those two. So there was that night, within a matter of an hour, there was the robbery of a, of a Rolex, the engagement ring, the Corvette, the double homicide, the proposal, the throwing out of the $10,000 Rolex. There's a little bit of spoiler here, but we find out that there's no, I don't know why you haven't explained why, but we know that Ivan didn't take the Rolex now. You know, so we know that part of the story is bullshit. Oh yeah. And there's a meet the parents on top of that. There's, there's a number of things that go on in Ivan's life that day, but to, to really break it down. So you have the, the, the evidence against him is they have, the bloody pants and socks in his trash can. You have the diamond ring. And, and this is where, like I said, you almost lost me in episode one when I'm hearing Ivan explain away all this stuff where the victim's diamond ring is stolen. And then he and his girlfriend show up at her parents' house and she's wearing a diamond ring with tape on it that doesn't fit her, which he says, oh, she got that from a friend, uh, which I have a theory on that. I want to talk about at the end. But it's just like, but that was some cubic zirconian ring a friend gave her that she was wearing. And then you have the, uh, the Corvette park right outside his house. And then the murder weapon found at his ex-girlfriend Tawny's house. Which to me, it seems like as, as we're moving along, as I was listening, as a listener, just, just kind of following the story, pretty quickly I started to get the idea. Oh, well, the, the first thing that I, that I feel like is I'm pretty confident in is at the very least his girlfriend, Amy B., knows what happened you know is early on through the season i'm listening and i'm 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 not convinced that it wasn't ivan and amy that did this you know because it, it seems like you know it seems like well what are the odds that all the all these things happened and then you have the the weirdness of the we won't get all the all the all the weeds on that but the 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 swapping of all the cars that night and everything but like the ring the fact that she says there's the stuff under the under the cushion at, at tawny's house I, I kind of started going through, well, maybe the two of them did this together. Yeah, but, but she definitely knows something. And then over sure. time, throughout the podcast, I started to think, well, you know what? I don't, I, don't, I don't really think that Ivan had anything to do with this. I think that it was either her or she was part of it or she knows who did it or was part of that. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
So either one of you that with those, those elements without going too in depth, but the, the few things I want to talk about are the pants and the, the, what we found out about the Corvette and about Tawny, just, just the items of evidence that were against Ivan that made him look so guilty. How did you tear those down? Just, and I, and not by fabricating, just by, just by investigating, how did you tear down those stanchions of the state case throughout your first season? Yeah, well, you know, and again, this is something that never came up at trial, which is baffling. Um, And this is kind of the, you know, the somewhat of the twist at the end of episode one is that, yeah, everything looks picture perfect on paper. Like they got this, they got this, they got this. But let's first, let's take a look at the trash can. If you take a look at a picture of that trash can, the jeans and socks are placed on top of, uh, I don't know if you've been to the Facebook page, but it's just very peculiar how the jeans and socks are in the trash can, kind of above the trash. I don't know what, what else is in there, but basically as soon as anybody enters the tiny apartment, the trash can didn't have a lid on it, and you see jeans and socks in a latex glove. Right. So that, that's like, huh, that they did a pretty poor job of that, of hiding that. But then the jeans, Ivan was a little dude. Ivan was about 5'7", a buck 40. I have talked to dozen, probably two dozen people, and they all tell me that's about right in the range. And then I'll go in, well, what, what size jeans would you say Ivan wore? And people are like, I can't guess. I'm like, well, you know, what size were you wearing back then? And everybody kind of whittled it down. And, and most people get it right around what Ivan was, says he was wearing at the time. And that's 30-30. Some people are like, maybe he wore like a 28-29 or something. But it's right around there. Well, the jeans in the trash can were a 34-32. And maybe for ladies, that doesn't sound like a big difference. But for guys, I mean, for someone Ivan's size, those would have been falling off. Yeah, in men's sizes, those are literally inches. They're four inches bigger than the size he wore. Exactly. And he would be tripping over the bottoms of them, and he would be holding up because Amy never said anything about a belt. Amy said that those were the jeans that he was wearing when he left. So, you know, you're telling me that he was wearing these baggy jeans when no one I've interviewed again 20 people that say I that was not a style you know people are like well, maybe you just wore baggy jeans I didn't wear baggy jeans it really wasn't that big of a style in 2000 and especially again with his friend group they were going out to clubs they were wearing dress slacks nice nice clothes the jeans are 34 32 but somehow that was never brought up at trial I mean you, you would think like right there that's a little bit of reasonable doubt where's the belt well like why does why is he wearing these big jeans? Right, it's kind of the, the whole OJ thing. If they, if they don't if they don't fit, you kind of would quit. But even the size thing, I was listening I was like, uh, you know, it, it makes sense. Yeah, they, they're they're not the right size, but you know, who knows? But to me, more important than that was what you found out from not only Ivan's mom, but the officer that was on the scene that night during the welfare check, right after the murders, right after the bodies were found, before the search warrant was executed. And what did she find when she went in there? Right. Again, Ivan's, well, before Ivan's mom went in there, the two officers are looking for, for Ivan. Now, they were looking for a dead body. They weren't looking for evidence because Ivan wasn't a suspect at that time. And that's understood. But there is jeans and socks and a latex glove in that trash can at, at eye level without a lid. If you're in there, if, as soon as you walk in, I mean, it, there is a possibility that they just didn't see it. But given the amount of time that they were in there, 
Um, and the fact that Ivan's mom came in there and she was standing kind of in the kitchen area. All she had to do was look to the left right here, could have touched that stuff. And the, the other thing is, you know, again, it's, it's his mom saying this, but, you know, Ivan was, Ivan was kind of a neat freak. And, um, you know, he, all his place is, it was always very cleaned up, knowing what I know about Ivan and interviewing everybody from Ivan's past, they, they do confirm that. And, and I guess that brings us to the other issue is, you know, for Ivan to have made mistakes, like leave, leaving, well, to finish your point, basically the officer in the wellness check, she says she doesn't see that evidence there. And she said on the podcast in no uncertain terms, she is certain that there was not a pair of bloody jeans laying on top of that trash can while she was there. Right. And again, no one ever asked her that. Right. You know, uh, she was never brought on. She was never brought in uh, on trial because I, as soon as I saw that and knowing about the wellness check, I was like, you know, there's nothing about that in the transcript. I was like, I got to call these cops and say, did, did you see this? Was this like this when you went in there? And sure enough, yeah, she said, no. I mean, like, you know, how would we have missed that? Basically, you know, it's, it's, there's different things that point to that possibly someone else had access to Ivan's apartment. Now, Ivan had another friend named Anthony that he said that Anthony had an apartment key because he was, I believe, uh, helping Ivan move or, or something. It was on, it was on a keychain that, that, uh, Ivan had. It was on the key ring for the car that Sylvia went to go get, went to go pick up that Anthony had been driving. Right. He was helping on the payments on this car. And Ivan told his mom to go get the car because he thought that they were running drugs in it. So Ivan's mom goes and gets it. And when she gets the key ring, she, I think she finds one of the keys matches the apartment key to Ivan's apartment. Well, see, and that's the thing. It, that was never officially confirmed. No one put that key in Ivan's lock, even though they had it. It was an apartment key. Ivan said he had an apartment key. They saw an apartment key. Could that have been an apartment key? I don't know. Like, that would have been awesome for someone to investigate back then. Um, but the locks would change, so we'll never know. But the other things that point to the fact that other people got into that apartment was after the wellness check, about 15 minutes after that, there's a call from inside Ivan's apartment going out. So someone else was in that apartment after they cleared the wellness check. Which also was never brought up at trial. That was never brought up at trial. Right. When Amy says that they should have been back in that Corvette at 10 a.m., Ivan says they were already on the way to Arkansas, but at the very least, neither of their timelines, that, that Corvette, should have been back in the parking lot at, at 10 a.m. per Amy's story. But there's a toll tag hit on that Corvette at 11.15 a.m. that day that the bodies were found. Right. Leading you to believe that someone else could have been driving that Corvette because their timelines don't account for driving that Corvette. And, and then that leads you to, okay, if you look at everything, which, you know, and I know, you know, for cops, they don't try to get, into the head and the rationality of like people that commit crimes. But I mean, you have to think like, okay, so this guy, he kills his cousin. He's driving his cousin's Corvette. He steals an engagement ring. 20 people see him that night in the Corvette. They're showing off the ring. He's saying, I can't believe I'm engaged. You know, uh, everybody sees him. 
And then before he goes out of town for three days, he parks that Corvette right outside of his apartment. I mean, you know. It's a whole lot of come look at me as a suspect type of evidence. Yeah. You know, for, for me, I'm looking at it. So, so the, the basis of the state's case is, is completely wrapped around Amy B's testimony. You know, her statement is how they, they, they craft everything together. And it all fits with this evidence that they found. You know, you know, so she says he came in with bloody pants and there's bloody pants. And he's, she says he stole the engagement ring and she was wearing the engagement ring. You know, so everything fits together. But then when you look at the, the fact that you... Know, so just take the pants, for example. The fact that not only Ivan's mother, but two police officers were in there. One who's, who's, who's come out and said, those pants weren't there when I was there. You know, so timeline-wise, for you listening, if you're not tracking, so Ivan and Amy are in Arkansas at her parents' house for three days when they go in and do the welfare check and there's no pants there. And then the warrant is executed while they're still in Arkansas and now the pants are there. Also, there was what we hadn't mentioned was the blood on the pants was just a couple little tiny specks of blood on the pants. So it's not like she would have noticed that he had bloody pants when he came, when he came in. You know, it was, it was a tiny amount of blood on his pants. The point being, so she is giving police a narrative that fits with evidence that almost certainly was planted after the fact, which is incredibly inculpatory towards her, towards her. And then she, she tells a story about Ivan. Oh, he, he had this Rolex and he threw it out. And then we, we find out that, so she knows there was a Rolex, right? To, to be able to tell that story. But then we found out how, which I'm sure we'll hear in season two, how that Ivan absolutely didn't take the Rolex. We know that for a fact. That, that, so that's made up. So she's making up a narrative to fit evidence that's false evidence that was, that was apparently planted evidence. And, and this isn't, you know, a lot of the cases I work, we see a lot of where there's a lot of police corruption. Doesn't seem to be the case in this case. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I'll ask Liz that question because she's shaking her head. You know, I was reading the trial transcripts and they definitely had some questions for the detectives that made me think basically just, you know, like, why would you request a warrant with no probable cause to this man's apartment if you don't know, if you have no reason to suspect him, if he was out of town? And I mean, they, they had a bunch of questions for him that really, you know, like, why did he want? to execute a warrant what made him think that this was a place that right. he was going to find these well, items well, there certainly could be some some tunnel vision there yeah and i think tunnel vision is probably a better word than corruption but yeah and like your your parents case like that was very clear and obvious and intentional corruption on the on the police part you know i, I guess what i'm getting is like this evidence i don't think police went in and planted evidence i think and, and i think what we might have left out of the story is that prior to the murders that Someone came to, according to Ivan, came to his house dressed up as like a Domino's pizza delivery driver and put a gun to his head and threatened him because his cousin was also a drug dealer and threatened Ivan and told him that James owed him money. And then this happens, this happens right afterwards. So there, there's a lot. There's bullet hole gets in the wall, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that's how Ivan says a bullet hole got there. So there's, you know, there's, there's a whole lot going on here, but it's it certainly my take on the case from what I've heard so far, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to season two is I don't think there's any doubt that, that Ivan's girlfriend, Amy has some culpability here. If, if, if nothing else that she knows what happened, either that means that, you know, she 
knows what happened and did it with Ivan, which doesn't seem to be the case because of like the planet evidence and things like that, like the, the genes or she knows and, and, and possibly she's doing this under duress, but that if, if someone else did this as part of this drug dealers or whoever was, that was after James that either under duress or in cooperation with has helped pin this onto Ivan. It's just kind of, I would say more of a hypothesis or a theory, but that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, well, like I recently started to break down the autopsy reports and, you know, it's just these things bring up more question. And it also kind of flies in the face of what the state is presenting, as, you know, that they were murdered between 1130 and 1215 at night. You know, James had food in his airways and in his trachea. He had 2.3 pounds of food in his stomach. Did you say 2.3 pounds of food? Yes, two, it was a. Like, 1100 mils of food. And at first I was like, okay, whatever. That doesn't seem like a lot until I converted it. Yeah. 2.3 pounds of food. And based on like the metabolism of, you know, a unisom he took, I just, I don't think that he, he was killed at night. I think that he was probably killed sometime the next morning, but I've talked more about that. In your most recent blog post. Right. Yeah. That you just put, it'll be next week when the the audience hears that, but yeah. And then there's also, I mean, there's a, we can go on about this all night. We're kind of running along, so we'll, we'll start to wrap things up. But, uh, you know, there's also a guy that, a uh, mysterious roommate to the victims who tells people, no, they weren't killed last night. They were killed today. That really, whether they were or not, he shouldn't know that. Uh, and like, nobody thought to question him any further. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want people to think that, you know, I just think everybody is innocent now. But I think that there are enough twists and turns in this case where it's really important that and also that he just didn't get a proper trial, a proper defense. The defense didn't call one witness and they didn't put, they didn't make any arguments. And I just think that with everything that we know and with everything we don't know, that he doesn't deserve to be on death row with what was presented in court. So I just think that, you know, the important thing to know is that we just want to get to the bottom of these things. And, you know, even if he needs a new trial or whatever, whatever it may be, I just want to get to the truth so that, you know, James and Amy can have justice. There's a ton of ambiguity in this case. We've only scratched the surface. Matt, you've done an amazing job with season one. Can you give us an idea of when we might expect season two to drop? Well, uh, as of right now, hopefully if everything goes smoothly, I'm still finishing up interviews and uh, I'm still finding some experts. But I'm hoping for 11 uh, or November 4th of 2020, which will mark actually the 20 years to the day that the bodies were found. So a little less than two months uh, would be, uh, yeah, hit 11-4, and that's the day the bodies were found. That'll be awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. So that'll be about six weeks from the time you all are hearing this episode. So if you haven't already, to prep yourself, check out Cousins by Blood by Matt Duff. He does an awesome job. And also check out, tell us the name of your blog again, Liz. Question the case. Question the case.com, right? Yeah. I've read the first one. I haven't read the one about the autopsy. She just started hitting me in a little bit, but it just came out. So keep following along there for more info on the case. Follow along Cousins by Blood. Thank you both for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thank you, Bob. Ivan was granted a stay of execution nine years ago in 2011. Since then, he's been fighting to gain access to evidence for new DNA testing. And time is of the essence. Ivan's attorneys are saying that his execution date could be set any day now. 
And once it's set, Cantu will only have 90 days before he's murdered by the state of Texas. There is currently a petition circulating demanding that Ivan be allowed to test the evidence. Information on the petition, links to download the trial transcripts, and templates for Media Blast can all be found on the Cousins by Blood podcast Facebook page. So please check it out. Matt and Liz can use your help, and Ivan most certainly can use all the help he can get. Thanks for listening. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondering. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth. And Mike can be found at MurbGaming. M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.